Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Friday, March 1st. I'm Hannah Flohr. Petersburg Municipal Code doesn't allow the borough to sell its land to private citizens and for-profit businesses at below assessed value. Now, the Petersburg Borough Assembly is considering allowing those sales if the land will be used for public good. Residents will have a chance to weigh in on the change at the Borough Assembly's next meeting on Monday, March 4th. Assemblymember Thomas Fine Walsh submitted the change. He told the Assembly at its last meeting in early February that the proposed ordinance is aimed at removing barriers to the development of reasonably priced housing in Petersburg. A survey last year found that the community needs more than 300 housing units. This is a really important issue for our community. We really need to do everything we can to support the efforts of uh, developing residential, residential lots here. We've tried again and again, and we've run up against the fact of the matter that developing residential property in Alaska is expensive, and, and it, it doesn't always pencil out. Um, but I, I think we need to change our thinking, because if, if we stop there and we just say, okay, we're, and we're done, I mean, what, all the young people are going to move to gonna move to Wrangell, they're going to move to Bellingham. Um, you know, we're going to have bigger problems as time goes by. Fine Walsh said the value of housing far outweighs the monetary loss to the borough that would come from selling the land below assessed value. He said the lack of affordable housing makes it hard for the borough and local businesses to find employees. Fine Walsh said that public accountability is important when dealing with a public asset. He said the ordinance is written to make sure the disposal of land incorporates lots of community feedback, as well as hearings with the Planning and Zoning Committee and the Borough Assembly. Assemblymember Jay Stanton Greger said he appreciates the transparency that is written into the proposed law. In order to undertake such a thing, having many checks and balances in place and uh, multiple layers of wired-in transparency is uh, key, which should be able to give the borough flexibility uh, when we see things that uh, meet the definition of public benefit. The borough assembly would decide whether each proposed project meets the definition of public benefit. Assemblymember Donna Marsh expressed concern that selling land below assessed value might decrease the value of surrounding properties. She also said she finds the specifics of the ordinance too restrictive. I would rather go with a case-by-case situation where the interested parties present their case, their facts, their proposals, and um, we go with that way rather than changing the whole ordinance that has such huge ramifications on everybody in the community. A change to the land sale law has been in the works since last fall. Skylark LLC was working to develop a subdivision of manufactured homes. The company owns land between Severson Subdivision and Skylark Park and planned to buy more borough-owned land in the area. But owners of the company said that it would be impossible to develop a subdivision of affordable, entry-level homes if they had to buy the borough lots at their assessed value. Petersburg law allows the borough to sell land to nonprofits at below assessed value. And last year, the assembly voted to allow the borough to sell its land to federally recognized tribes at below assessed value. The ordinance passed four to one in its first time before assembly with Donna Marsh, the only no vote. The public will be able to weigh in on the issue during the next borough assembly meeting on Monday, March 4th at noon. The ordinance will be considered a third and final time at 6 p.m. on March 18th. A bill working its way through the State House could have big implications for reproductive rights. The measure, from Big Lake Republican Representative Kevin McCabe, 
would redefine the terms person and life in state law. A state prosecutor told lawmakers it could allow abortion providers to be charged with murder, though it's not clear it would hold up in court. Alaska Public Media's Eric Stone joined Alaska News Nightly host Casey Grove to talk through the bill and its implications. Okay, so right now the word person in state criminal law means this, quote, a natural person and, when appropriate, an organization, government, or government instrumentality. And so this bill would insert into that definition, quote, entities with the moral right of self-determination. It would also define life uh, as the property of living organisms, including things like metabolism, growth, reproduction, response to stimuli, things like that. Uh, The definition of person is part of the basis for a lot of the state's criminal code, including murder. That's causing the death of a person. So this bill would essentially say a fetus is a living person. Is that right? That's right. It's similar to bills that have been proposed in a lot of states after the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. They all sort of fall into this bucket of so-called fetal personhood bills. And and so the natural next question, I guess, is, well, would this allow an abortion provider to be prosecuted for murder? And that's a complicated question, given that the Alaska Supreme Court has held that the state constitution's privacy protections include the right to an abortion. So it's safe to say there would be court challenges. Let's take a listen to the answer from the Department of Law's John Skidmore. He's a deputy attorney general for the criminal division. Whether or not those statutes can include, for example, punishing someone for engaging in an abortion uh, deals with other constitutional questions. Um, I believe there's case law in the state of Alaska that might make that type of use of the statute unconstitutional. Uh, But that doesn't mean the bill would do nothing. Uh, Here's Skidmore again. Um, Would this allow us to file charges? Yes, I think it probably would. Would those charges be allowed to move forward through the court system? That would be the subject of the litigation that I just mentioned a moment ago. So you might beat the rap, but you might not beat the ride. Uh, And a quick sidebar here, you might have heard of a similar issue in Alabama related to in vitro fertilization or IVF. It's a fertility treatment. A court there relying on a similar definition ruled that fertilized eggs and embryos are children under a state wrongful death law, basically ruling that life begins at conception. It's pretty similar to this bill. That decision has led a bunch of providers to pause IVF care in the state, basically because the process of in vitro fertilization isn't set up to make sure every single embryo produced is treated like a child. So, like, some don't survive the process. Some are disposed of for other reasons. Uh, In the Alabama case, actually, uh, somebody dropped several embryos from a cryogenic freezer onto the ground. Well, do we know what this bill would mean for IVF in Alaska? Well, of course, there are a lot of what-ifs. There's certainly no guarantee this becomes law. In fact, the chances are pretty low. Uh, The Senate's bipartisan supermajority has been pretty consistent in steering clear of uh, contentious social issues. But if it does wind up passing, Skidmore from the Department of Law, he, he didn't have a definitive answer. Uh, but McCabe, the sponsor, he says the main idea behind the bill isn't, it's not like a backdoor ban on reproductive health care, whether that's IVF or abortions. Uh, here's how McCabe put it when asked whether an abortion provider could face murder charges. It's not the intent of this bill to send the stormtroopers into a, an abortionist's office or a doctor that had to perform an abortion for one reason or another. Um, that's not the intent of this bill. This in, this bill, the small limits of this bill are de- are designed to define life and person. 
Uh, but dozens of people called in during a public hearing on the bill to voice their opposition to the bill. There wasn't a lot of support from the public, though it's always worth noting that a public hearing on a bill isn't exactly a scientific poll. Uh, I think it's safe to say, though, that a lot of folks see it as an attack on abortion rights. But some folks see a much broader application of defining person and life in state law. Hmm. Like what? Well, I, I followed up with the chair of the committee that's hearing McCabe's bill, uh, Homer Republican Representative Sarah Vance. Uh, she says she sees a wide variety of applications. Uh, she told me that she expected a forthcoming amendment would clarify the way the law treats artificial intelligence. Uh, she said she didn't have a final copy of what that language might look like. Uh, and that's not the only amendment we can expect on this. Uh, there was an interesting exchange between McCabe and Wasilla Republican Representative Jesse Sumner. Uh, Sumner asked about the language, an entity with the moral right of self-determination. Remember, that's that's how the bill defines person. Uh, let's take a listen. Are you at all concerned that this could be extrapolated to apply to non-human animals? I, I, and I ask because I recall in college I had to take this horrible class called Animal Ethics, and our professor said essentially that oysters had a moral right of self-determination. So, um, what, what do you, what, what does this mean? So um, through the chair, Representative Sumner, it's Representative McCabe again. For the record, uh, yes, we uh, there is one slight problem with the bill that we intend to bring forth, hopefully through one of you, and the word human is missing. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I, I, I miss that. Everybody missed that. Uh, thank you to Mr. Skidmore for pointing that out. Uh, Sumner wanted to make sure he couldn't get sued by an oyster, he said. Uh -huh. uh, so we can expect that as an amendment, too. Uh, but Vance says she's planning to bring the bill back soon. Uh, she hasn't set a date. She says she's planning to advance it out of committee, though, later in the session. That could bring it to the House floor, but again, tough sledding in the Senate. That was Alaska Public Media's Eric Stone speaking with Alaska News Nightly host Casey Grove. Unalaska is closer than ever to achieving the decades-old goal of building a geothermal power plant in Kushin Volcano. It would make it the first community in the nation completely powered by geothermal energy. But as Theo Greenlee reports, the company behind the project is facing investment challenges that threaten to make the whole project go up in smoke. In many ways, the city of Unalaska is just like any other community facing the logistical challenges that come from trying to move away from fossil fuels. City manager Bill Homka says they want to move towards renewable energy, but they need options. I don't think anyone wants to commit us in our future for the next 30, 40 years to diesel generation. But there's at least one big thing that sets Unalaska apart from other communities. It just so happens to have a 6,000-foot volcano in its backyard. Over the last few years, the city has worked with a company pursuing geothermal power from McCushion Volcano, about 13 miles from the city center. OCCP was formed in 2020 by Unalaska's Unalashka Corporation and the team behind China Hot Springs. The joint venture said it could bring a geothermal power plant online by 2023, and the city of Unalaska signed an agreement to purchase power from them. But things have changed over the past few years. That original agreement was signed in 2020, pretty early on during the pandemic, and pretty much the entire world has changed since then. But for this particular project, two things stand out. 
inflation, and the price of diesel. Dave Matthews is the program manager for the project. He says the project's costs rose by over 20% since they signed that original power purchase agreement. So now the company needs to raise the rate. We've asked the city to consider new rates for the project, and we proposed some rates to them that we thought would be acceptable for our lenders and also acceptable to the city, uh, as we think it will still produce geothermal power at a lesser rate than the current diesel. The new terms also add another year to the timeline, which has already been extended three times. The new agreement says the project would be up and running in 2028. OCCP has sent their new terms to the city, which says it expects to make a decision soon. Matthews says if the city doesn't agree... It would probably, you know, kill the project. The city hasn't announced a decision yet, but it's weighing other options, like pursuing wind energy and expanding diesel-generated electricity. An Alaska City Council voted last week to fund an energy study that would look into expanding the city's diesel generation. City Manager Bill Homka told city council members that the study doesn't necessarily mean geothermal is out of the picture. Increased diesel could be more of a stopgap. In waiting for where we were going with geothermal, what can we do here in the near short term to shore up our system? What are we going to do in five years if indeed geothermal is a reality in between now and then? And Alaska's power system has been enduring stressors. I mean, just the last two weeks alone, you know, we've been working with outages and trying to deal with um, you know, planned outages and unplanned outages to understand what's going on with our system. On top of current needs, the community's power needs are likely about to skyrocket. Seafood giant Trident Seafoods has begun the process of relocating their flagship processing plant to Alaska. Trident representative Stephanie Moreland told KUCB last year the company wants to purchase power from the city rather than generate it themselves. We're hoping to be a customer. We'd love to see renewable energy. We'd love to see geothermal be a part of that solution if it can be done so in a manner that's affordable and reliable. Trident even explored options to help fund the geothermal project. They solicited state funding last year, but were not approved. The city says that even if geothermal was successful, it wouldn't be complete in time for the facility's opening, which is slated for 2027. In Unalaska, I'm Theo Greenley. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.